I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. It's nice to see many familiar faces. Are you the same as you were last year? <laughs> no? Yeah. Yes. One of my students said yes. How frustrating. <laughs> when I came back from a uh, overlong stay, in, a sojourn in the East of about six or seven years, my younger brother said, Jeffrey, you're still yourself, only more so. <laughs> that bugged me at first, being an ambitious overachiever. But in the years, that's the wisdom, even the praise in that has matured. Said, yeah, myself, even more so. Even more so. What are we trying to become anyway? And who do we think we are? We're not who we think we are. What kind of so many stories do we tell ourselves? Who we are, what we're doing, what the meaning of it all is, you know, why we come here and what we get and how we if we can only keep sitting for another half hour, then I'll feel better. Afterwards, that's a story, <laughs> just a story. So that reminds me, one of my teachers, Punjaji in India, one of my friends, th there's this uh, master in India named Punjaji, 
And one of my friends, he speaks English. He's an old man, an Indian master. And saying, one of my friends came and stuck a video camera in his face and, and a microphone and said, Oh, master, many of, there are many seekers of truth and friends and, and Sangha members in the West and in America. They're seeking for truth. They're, they want to know what they should do and should they come to see you and where should they go to find enlightenment and freedom? Do you have any advice for them? And he sticks the microphone there in the master's face and the master says, stay home. <laughs> So I think that's kind of what my brother was saying unconsciously, being guru to me. Be ourselves, and even more so. Actually, what Punjaji said was not exactly stay home. He said, stay wherever you are. Isn't that the lion's roar of the Dharma, of truth, to be as is, to be who you are? Not who you think you are, which may hopefully probably has some overlap with who you are. <laughs> you never know. You know, old T.S. Alley, old, um, it doesn't matter, they're all the same. <laughs> oh, that's a <laughs> James Joyce, he said, Mr. What's his name? I forgot. Mr. What's his name lived at a short distance from his body. Oh, yeah. yeah. Isn't that like us? So, to be who we are, it might sound cheap, easy, superficial, like newage, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot where I am, uh, but, <laughs> but it's extremely profound. That's why many masters have said, kill the Buddha. You know, if you meet the Buddha, that's not the real Buddha. If the Buddha's in your road, push him aside, him or her. That's not the real Buddha. That's uh, Buddha dressed up in drag Buddha, Halloween Buddha. Other masters have said, don't put a Buddha's head on top of your head. You become a monster. You know, one head is enough. So what are we trying to become? Why are we so dissatisfied with ourselves? Do we even know ourselves? Or are we just replaying some old tapes and listening to old voices? You know, we're never good enough. Or, what? Only 99 on the math test? <laughs> or whatever. Never enough. Never good enough. Never enough. Never enough love. Or uh, just the other side, you know, too much. Too much work, too much speed, too much noise, too much environmental pollution. Too much to do. Where is the balance point in all this? All these doings. Running on the gerbil cage. We think we're climbing a ladder to somewhere. It's a gerbil cage. The treadmill of conditioning, of karmic conditioning, psychological conditioning, the momentum of conditioning driving us forward, staggering forward, trying to keep up with our own momentum. 
No wonder why we're so exhausted, so burnt out. So the Dharma message, if there is such a thing as a one particular Dharma message, the Dharma message has a lot to do with seeing through that kind of illusion. Of course we need to do inner work, work on ourselves, transform, purify, wake up, wake up from the dream, from the sleepwalking, from the dream of illusion, of separateness and so on, of course. But that's just one side. Like a snake untangling itself. It was a snake before it untangled also. If you know what a snake is, we are ourselves. We are fine. We are at home. Whether or not we know it or not. So in the Dzogchen teachings, I've been asked to speak tonight about Dzogchen, the Tibetan teachings, the great perfection, the innate great perfection teachings, the non-dual teachings of the diamond vehicle, the Vajrayana, the tantric way, the way of the great perfection of all things. In the Dzogchen great perfection teachings, it says, we are all Buddhas. We only have to awaken to that. We only have to realize and recognize who and what we are. Just like water and ice of one single nature in different momentary states. But one single nature, so-called Buddha nature, or great perfection, or living spirit, pure spirit, whatever you want to call it, pure being. Words fail. Whatever we call it, still, there it is. We are all endowed, filled with it. We are it. It's not just, as it says, as I often hear, parroted by all the brilliant Dharma teachers of the world, and we parrot what they parrot, which they parrot from others. All beings have Buddha nature. It's not so dualistic. All beings are Buddha nature. Not even Buddha. Forget Buddha. Buddha is an intruder. <laughs> All are living spirit, are light. Shadows are also light. Shadows are nothing but light. To call it Buddha nature is to, again, put it afar. In India, that's why the master said, stay home. To call it Buddha nature sounds oriental, doesn't it? Sounds foreign. We have to import it from Japan or somewhere. But anyway, it's not going to fit. It's going to be too small. Pinch our toes. Or the you know, Japanese car is too small for some of us. <laughs> don't we need, don't these times call for a homegrown, natural, organic, made in America Buddha nature? <laughs> <laughs> right on, right. We say in Tibetan, Imho, far out. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yes, 
affirmation, not just suffering, (laughs) dukkha, misery, (laughs) how long, three months, three years, three lifetimes of retreat, and still the same, even more so. (laughs) Trudging to enlightenment, slogging our way through the muddy trenches. Through the barbed wire, into it's like the machine gun's nest of our thoughts and, and, and impulses. That's just one way of looking at it. That's one way of looking at it. What about from the other side? You know, turn off the projector for a moment and take a commercial break. Go outside. Oh, that, that was a great movie. The Longest Day or whatever it's called. <laughs> No bullets, no machine guns, no mud, no barbed wire. Sunny day in California. Magnolia trees blooming. What about that? And then we can turn off the projector, wake up from that dream to, you know, ad infinitum. When I first met my own uh, root guru, Kala Rinpoche, in Darjeeling in 1972, the late, great Himalayan yogi, Kalu Rinpoche. I was at that time, like many of our friends here and teachers, practicing Vipassana in India under Uguenka, Anagarika Manindra, and some other teachers in Burma. And I was at Rinpoche's monastery in Darjeeling, And he said to me, what kind of meditation are you doing? And I said, Vipassana or something. He said, what's that? And I told him that I was observing the sensations in my body. I was watching my breath and so on. At this time, I didn't know much about masters. I was just meditating and doing the technique and kind of learning in that way. And I thought I was talking to a Tibetan guy, (laughs) old man, monk, Kala Rinpoche. And he said to me, what are you going to meditate on when you stop breathing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, who am I speaking to? It took me a long time. It was like what my brother said. It took me some time to process that, maybe 20 years or 30 years. I said, oh, maybe there is something more to this awareness, this awakeness business, this pure living spirit than just the body, than just the mind and the thoughts and the states of mind, any something more than just awareness of the breath, Maybe there is something more, but what is it? How do we express it? What does meditate mean, even if you're not breathing, you know, if you're so-called dead? What is, breathe, what is aware? What, is, what would be meditating at that time? So that's the challenge I'm throwing out tonight. Then I'm going to open this up to questions. We all have different meditation practices or some overlapping same meditation practices, but who or what is meditating? 
who or what is experiencing. Whatever object we're meditating on, the breath, mindfulness of breathing, sensations, mindfulness of sensations, or mindfulness of mind, of thoughts, or visualization, or mantra, or chakras, koans, conundrums, whatever, Buddha forms, God's light, whatever movie we're watching, whatever weather we're experiencing, emotional weather, who or what is experiencing that? What story are we telling ourselves about that? What do we think we're going to get out of it? How are we measuring it? Is it about duration? How many days? How many hours? How many minutes? You know, we're not getting paid by the minute to meditate. We're not getting paid by the hour or the year to live spiritual life. It has its own rewards, yes, but they're not so easily figured out on the actuarial tables. I'm not sure that the path of awakening is like an engineering project, like an actuarial curve, you know, like a compounded interest kind of thing. I think it's more poetic than that. It's more creative. It's more mysterious. It's more circular. It's more inconceivable, isn't it? Check your own experience. One of my friends, Fred von Allman, who's a wonderful Vipassana teacher and Bodhisattva in Switzerland, he always says, it's one of his favorite little stories, he always says, he, always, he never has any experiences while meditating. It always happens while he's walking around or something. So why is that? It's like by surprise. It comes from the other side of the brain, not the rational side. It's not an, edu- an engineering project. Ripeness is all, as somebody Shakespeare said. Ripeness. We know the fruits fall in the autumn, but we don't know what day. So many Zen masters have said they're wise acres. They always make these kind of jokes. Said meditation is how how to put this enlightenment or enlightenment experience, awakening experience is like an accident. You can't legislate it. You can't meditate it. You can't fabricate it. But spiritual practice makes us more accident prone. <laughs> so I think that's all, all I want to say tonight. I could talk, you know, about this forever and make jokes. I'd like to hear from you. Then you can ask me what to talk about or even tell me where it's at. That would be even better. You know, I asked a bunch of questions tonight. I know I'm supposed to sit up here and be the answer man, but I think it's more healthy to ask questions, to look, inquire, to investigate. You know, it says in the quest in the Buddha Sutra, questions of King Melinda, one of the ancient original scriptures of Buddhism. The king of Bactria in Afghanistan said to the great bhikkhu of India, Nagasena, he said, "Oh, master, what is the main factor of enlightenment?" I'm going to translate that factor of enlightenment as, "What is the greatest agent of transformation 
in Buddhist scriptures, there's seven factors of enlightenment, seven factors conducive to enlightenment, seven agents of transformation. Like mindfulness, balance, or relaxation, um, a few others, I forget what they are. Concentration, whatever, getting bored. No. <laughs> Interest, I don't know, it doesn't matter. And, and Bhikkhu Nagasena said the main factor of enlightenment, he didn't say meditation, you know, he said is investigation. You think about that. So if you're trying, if you're sitting here trying not to think when you meditate, or to flatline your brain, or to get through the hour, then I suggest you come during the break and just hear the, the show at, at eight o'clock. Because better do something else from seven to eight than flatline your brain and try to, you know, white out or use life out correction fluid to white out everything. But you know, the the truth is for everyone. The Dharma belongs to everyone. No one has a corner on the market of truth. Not. Buddhists, not teachers, not spiritual people. The light is shining in everyone and in everything, every moment. <clears throat> I challenge you to find it wherever you are, not just in Mecca or in the Himalayas or Mount Shasta or somewhere. Wherever one is. And every day we might notice or, or investigate how is it being preached right now the dharma the sound of the rain the smell of the magnolia trees and plum blossoms opening or from that matter the smell of the dog shit on the corner the rich pungent moment of you know of experience how is the dharma the truth manifesting right now and what's if anything is keeping me from it that's a question for today, to bring the Dharma out. We always talk about bringing the Dharma into our daily life. How about bringing it out of our daily life? Finding it there, bringing it out, harvesting it there. Dharma belongs to everybody. Help yourself. And also for our own inner child to find out what its inclinations are can be better than meditation for most of us. I just want to say that as somebody who's meditated every day for 25 years, I'm a slow learner. I'm just starting to realize this. The inner child knows how to be and play a little bit. And we have to trust that too. That's also Buddha nature, the Buddha within. So good night, everybody. Thank you. It's been lovely.